Welcome to the Ghoul's Guide to Santa Barbara. Here we are at some random-ass ranch, and this is the brand. City slickers? Nope. <laughs> I would be shocked if Summers did city slickers. I've never even seen it. Yeah, it think. doesn't seem like you're kind of movie. That is not the movie. It's not that. About. Okay. <laughs> uh, gosh. Okay, I'm going to... Do you want to hint? Yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm going to use Jen's hint of, based on what you know of me... It's British. No. Okay. No. It's my other thing that I... <laughs> Was is it a jackass with. movie? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, is it jackass? The movie? Is it close? Jackass 3D? <laughs> close in between those two. Jackass 2. Yes. Jackass okay. number two. That was Bam's uh, intro for when he gets branded. He got branded? Yeah, it's real bad. Oh, it gets really infected. Oh, no. But apparently, um, and then his mom was really upset. Ape was upset because... She was like, you're going to have that for life. But uh, apparently they just did a bad job on it. So it healed up in five years. Oh, my gosh. That's (laughs) crazy. (sighs) I think they should do a rebrand. Bam. If you're listening, (laughs) you should rebrand. No, Mm -hmm. maybe don't. Don't do. Maybe rebrand your life. (laughs) Oh, Oh, come on. (laughs) He is trying. (laughs) He's I'm trying. not sure delving into conspiracy is trying. Okay, yeah, that's true. we're not gonna. <laughs> no, well, I could prepare a defensive term. <laughs> Have you guys seen this new show? Uh, it's called like the Garden Commune or Cult or something like that. No, no, it's but like I every... want to. It was like Jen's. This is right up Jen's alley. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> it's like people go to this, yeah, like commune, but then they're like, oh, I don't. The, what did I sign up for? <laughs> God, wow. The idea of a commune soon sounds so wonderful, except for all the other people. Yeah. I think it's on Discovery Channel. Anyway, we'll have to check it out. I saw a great, sorry, this is getting a little off topic, but I saw a great meme the other day that was like, uh, if we all go off grid, then the commies can't get us. And it was like, yes, yes. If we all form communes, the commies can't get us. Uh, okay. Speaking of um, communism. There's a Mark Steele lecture on Karl Marx, which is an excellent, an excellent watch or listen. It's <laughs> okay. Little, maybe Lincoln. I don't okay. Know. Gosh, all these recommendations. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'll be so busy. Well, I feel like Jackass number two is not a great recommendation because either you've seen it if you're a Jackass type person uh-huh. or maybe you don't need to. I probably saw it, but <laughs> yeah. it's just been a long time. Yeah. That I feel like that time in media <laughs> was just, it was such an interesting like course where we just like watched people do terrible things to each other and and, themselves yeah Yeah, and it really just ushered in that just this weird era of i mean i guess we're still kind of in it with all these like reality tv stuff yeah but i miss it i miss i miss jackass movies the last one did not count (laughs) (laughs) all right well thanks for tuning in this is the ghoul's guide to santa barbara i'm liz i'm jen and i'm summers and today Jen is going to tell us about the notorious mother-son duo of Sante and Kenny Kimes. Oh. Yes, I am. So uh, this one is interesting to me because I did not realize that there were uh, connections to Santa Barbara. <gasps> I forgot what <laughs> our show's about Santa Barbara. So I was like, oh, where is this story going to take place? <laughs> 
it actually it oh, takes place it literally takes place <laughs> all over but it comes back to Santa Barbara a few times okay. so uh I'm in <laughs> yeah that's why I so I guess I've sort of settled into a pattern of uh maritime based <laughs> murders and disasters and then just wild stories about wild people cool so uh-huh. uh strap yourself in okay uh because this one's gonna be a wild ride so <laughs> sandra singers not the person that you thought i was gonna be talking about okay. was born to mary van horn on july 24th 1934 in oklahoma city oklahoma okay uh in the mid-1930s her family of six so four children and parents moved to los angeles where her father prama mahendra singers abandoned the family on the side of the road. Oh no! Oh my God! Leaving your mother. Sorry, what, year? Uh, what? What year? Nineteen thirty-seven. Okay. So, so this is Depression era, and that probably yes. was kind of common, unfortunately. Yes. Um, so leaves their mother to possibly turn to prostitution in order to support oh. her children. Uh, Sandra grew up feeling ashamed and experiencing racism based on her family's East Indian immigrant background. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Um, they're very poor, often suffering. And uh, Sandra claims that she ended up stealing food from grocery stores in order to feed her and her siblings. Um, Her mother's work leaves her separated from the kids. And Sandra claims she was uh, molested by several adults by age eight. Um, Yeah. As she grew up, according to her estranged sister, uh, Sandra had an incestuous relationship with her older brother. And was a pyromaniac who held like to hold lit matches underneath her sister's fingers for fun. Um, she would tie up the goats and dogs on her family's farm and use hat pins to mutilate and oh. torture them. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So just really rough upbringing. Um, and some of those like check off the boxes for uh-huh. things oh, right. that, you know, warning to, signs for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, I'm just going to say a note here that by the time you get to the end of the story, you will be in the same boat as me as could all this have been completely made up? I don't know. Uh, The facts are very hard to tie down uh, Mm -hmm. in this person's life. And yeah, I would read one source and it would say one thing happened in one year. And then I would read a different source and it said a slightly different name and a slightly different time period and mm. a slightly different place. So um, eventually uh, all four of the uh, singer's siblings ended up in foster homes or orphanages as their mother could not care for them. Uh, Sandy, Sandra, mm-hmm. the last to be separated from her mother basically uh, spent the last bit of that time running wild on the streets of Los Angeles. Mm. In 1947, at the age of 13, she was adopted by Edwin and Mary Chambers in order to provide her a better life. They were basically like the friends of this theater owner that somehow knew the family. And Mm. they were like, Hey, your daughter needs some structure in her life. How about we just adopt her? And so they did. And uh, apparently her mother was like, great, take her. Like, that'll, that'll free up more of my time. Um, <laughs> For my interests. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so after she was adopted, uh, she moved to Carson City, Nevada, and took on the name Sandy Chambers. 
However, her life did not actually become a whole lot easier as she soon found herself the victim of repeated sexual abuse (sighs) at the hands of her adopted father, Edwin. At school, Sandy earned a reputation as a bully who frequently belittled and intimidated younger students. She attempted to tell her adoptive mother about the abuse at one time, but the mother basically just victim blamed her and told her that she should have stayed away from the dad or not put herself in those situations. So, yeah. Ugh. May I just say yes. that that's so common, Yes, um, especially with a formerly single mother who has found a breadwinner husband yep. um, and the husband abuses one of the older girls. And then the mother sees that not as uh, something that she should prevent, but as a threat to like yeah. mm-hmm. her taking her man or something. Totally. It is something that still happens. Yeah. It's like Super one of the gross. most common tropes in foster care awful so when sandy was just 16 uh she shoplifted some makeup from a convenience store even though her family had plenty of money now sandy slipped a tube of lipstick into her pocket and was caught on the way out she was arrested but later released likely due to her being a minor without a record but for sandy it gave her a sense of power and Mm. invincibility that started a path she'd follow the rest of her life Mm. um again common yeah you know yeah so sandy graduated from high school in 1952 and in the interest of trying to make a better life for herself uh she took a secretarial class with her best friend ruth ruth sandy and ruth decided to move to sacramento in search of a fresh start go kings and then a year (laughs) later they relocated briefly to san francisco then from 1954 to 1955 they both attended journalism classes at the university of california in santa barbara She crossed paths with and began dating one of her former high school suitors, Lee Powers, during this time. And she started to view their relationship as an opportunity for security and social gain, thinking like, I'll be a wife, Mm -hmm. I'll, you know, turn her life around. Turn my life around. Um, But Lee seems like he doesn't want to commit. So she claims to be pregnant, (gasps) knowing that based on, you know, the time period and his upbringing, He'd feel like he needed to make an honest woman out of her mm-hmm. and marry her. So once they get married, she realizes that life with Lee would be simple and she'd ex- be expected to be a stay-at-home housewife, hmm. which is not really interesting to her. So she divorces him three months later. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> In 1955, Sandy opens a department store credit card account in the name of Ruth's boyfriend's father, <gasps> charging $400 on it. And then wow. disappearing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Sandy then reunites with her uh, with another former high school boyfriend, Edward Walker, mm-hmm. who she finds out is now a successful general contractor in the Sacramento area. So okay. she sees that as like, maybe this will get me the life mm-hmm. that I need. Mm-hmm. So she writes him a letter telling him how much she misses him and how she wants to connect with him again, thinking that he'll read this and be like, yes. Is that like... <laughs> The then version of sliding into his DMs. Pretty much. She slides into his Mailbox. USPS DMs. <laughs> um, but when that doesn't get the response that she wants, she just shows up on his doorstep. Uh, As you do. She and Ed marry on November 9th, 1957. <gasps> it worked. <laughs> She's good at this. She is very good at this. Okay. Just have to be assertive. Well, and I think sometimes when you're, um, you've had childhood trauma you might learn survival skills that involve getting people to do what you want them to yeah. do. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I um, didn't. But some people do. <laughs> some people do. Some people do. Some 
people can really harness their trauma for good. I know. <laughs> it's a talent. Mine is just annoying. <laughs> Sandy constantly insists Ed take on more and more work to earn them more money. However, she spends their money even faster than he can make it. In one Christmas alone, she racks up over $13,000 <gasps> in credit card charges in the buying 50s. elaborate wow. gifts for people. Wow. Yeah. That's when her dark path of con artist and arson begin. <gasps> I did not know that was coming. (laughs) I told you to stop in. Sandy, uh, so like feeling the pressure of this credit card debt and feeling like her husband is not making enough money to cover uh, her extravagant lifestyle. She sets fire to their house in Sacramento to collect the insurance money. What? Only the the kitchen is destroyed, but they get $10,000 for it. So she's like... Look, honey, uh, I got us like yeah. most of the money that I spent. But that's supposed to pay for a new kitchen, <laughs> I right? Know, right? <laughs> well, I guess they had a couple houses, so you know that one was expendable. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Nobody suspects the fraud, but by now Sandy just almost couldn't stop herself from this kind of stuff. And the same year, she's arrested for stealing a hair dryer. Uh-huh. She pleads guilty and pays the hundred twenty nine dollar fine. Um, when her husband confronts her about why she stole a hairdryer they could obviously afford, she instead blamed him for not providing enough and making her feel like she needed to save them some money. Oh, so she was like, you just don't make me enough money. I was trying to be helpful and save us some money. Wow. <laughs> on a hairdryer. So now Sandy has a taste for the finer things and also a heightened sense of indestructibility. So right. she reinvents herself once again, going by the name of Sante. And continues down her path of destruction. Wild. <laughs> I know. Just and this wait. is worse than Bam Margera's path of destruction, <laughs> I would like to say. Remember how I told you like an hour ago? If you ever feel like your life choices <laughs> yes. are not great, yeah. at least you are not Sante Kimes. Okay. Oh. So, I feel like that's a real low bar, but thank you. It is, but it's helpful sometimes. Yeah. So during the course of her marriage with Ed, dozens of homes that he had supervised the construction of <gasps> burned down. No. Oh. Sante had a number of affairs with Walker's wealthy business associates, Yuck. using the relationships as an excuse to become involved in their financial dealings and then stealing from them. Whoa. Oh, okay. Her husband even learns of these affairs during a trial in which he was suing and won one of his business partners for not paying their subcontractors when all along it had been Sante who had been forging the checks and stealing from stealing. So basically she hooks up with one of like he gets this partnership to build like a multi-million dollar uh, housing development development. Mm -hmm. And then she has an affair with the guy in charge. Wow. And then the the vendors start calling and being like, hey, or the subcontractors are like, hey, nope, we're not getting paid. Uh-huh. And it turns out that money that was supposed to be paying them, Sante was like skimming Yoink. for herself. No way. So he, so, so her husband is like, you're not like, how come you're not paying the subcontractors? I'm going to sue you. And then during the course of that trial, it turns, the guy's like, well, your wife, who I've been sleeping with, was also is stealing my bookkeeper. Money. Yeah, wow. he's also my bookkeeper and is stealing the money. And then he wins the case. So he actually like recovers oh the my money. God. So Sante freaks out and she's like, oh no, like now that my husband knows about this, uh-huh. he, he's going to leave me. Uh-huh. So she announces she's pregnant. Uh-huh. In 1962, Babe. Sante has her first child, Kent okay. Walker. Oh, so, so she, she was, was actually pregnant. Okay. 
is actually pregnant okay. this time. Okay. It was never confirmed whether or not Kent is actually Ed's child, oh. although she claimed he was. Hmm. It feels like they could have just like done a test to make sure. But not then, no. But later, yeah. At some point, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's their. Oh boyfriend. no! Actually, maybe they could have. They might have been able to do like blood typing. Sure. Or, yeah. Sorry, that was. I don't know. Maybe incorrect. they. Maybe they did. I didn't. Look yeah. No, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> you're right with your. Why didn't they just? Yeah. I mean, it seems like it wouldn't have been above her to have pulled something like that. Well, but oh, like, well, sure. what, what was oh. above her? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, right. okay. nothing yeah. is really beneath her. Oh, beneath her. Yeah, sorry. Eventually, uh, Sante felt like Ed could never give her quite the extravagant life <laughs> of her dreams. And so she le- leaves him in a search for an upgrade. See this trend where nothing is going to satisfy her. Yeah. <laughs> in 1964, she moves to a condo in Burbank, California, attempting to start anew. However, her criminal activities continue. Uh-huh. She opens several credit cards in different names, accumulates $20,000 in debt. And when the police ca- catch on to her scheme, she's charged with 17 counts of grand theft. She possibly wow. engaged in some prostitution during this time in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and was also arrested for auto theft. <laughs> One of her former lawyers tells the story. Sante walked into a Cadillac dealership and conned the salesman into letting her test drive a convertible uh. alone. Oh and of God. course, she never came back and drove the car for months as if she owned it. Oh, my gosh. When wow. the police catch up with her, she told them she'd been given the car to test drive. And that's what she had been doing. Still test driving it. I the love audacity <laughs> of this woman. Yes. Audacity is her middle name. <gasps> the year 1966 saw Sante and her new boyfriend, Clyde, stealing in Los Angeles, <laughs> then burning a house in Palm Springs to claim insurance money for the oh stolen gosh. items. They also attempted to burn her still husband Ed's Laurel Canyon house down, but only the top, top half was damaged. Sante and Ed's divorce was finalized at the end of 1967, and she then embarked on a restless journey with her young son. Hmm. She moved frequently and became increasingly violent. Uh, she was now going back and attacking Ed and his new girlfriend multiple times oh, over the no. next two years. In 1969, <laughs> she and Clyde shoot blanks at Ed on a mountain <gasps> road, claiming he had turned on them. What? She eventually even begins using her 10-year-old son, Kent, as an accomplice to sneak into houses and steal things for her. Oh, gosh. In 1971, she met motel tycoon Kenneth Keith Kimes Sr. after reading a spotlight about him in Millionaire Magazine. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) And learning that he had a net worth of approximately 20 million, was handsome, and recently divorced. Oh, my gosh. She's, like, flipping through. Which one is mine? Catalogs. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) so she finds out that uh kenneth is living in palm springs so she packs up her son and moves out to palm springs starts finding out all the places he hangs out wow uh dresses nice puts Mm -hmm. does her hair and makeup so much work starts hanging out at the same like makes friends with people he's friends with and eventually all her scheming pays off and she and kent move in with kenneth Wow. During this time, Sante spends her days conning people out of their money, expensive merchandise, and real estate, either through arson, elaborate con games, forgery, or just outright theft. Wow. Sante delighted in introducing Kenneth Sr. as an ambassador and sometimes even impersonating Elizabeth Taylor, who she (laughs) resembled slightly. That's awesome. (laughs) So, like, yeah, she has kind of, like, the dark features. Uh She's a little round. Yeah. And uh, she would wear these, like, big... Uh, dark wigs. Mm-hmm. Oh, funny. To impersonate oh Elizabeth gosh. Taylor. <laughs> Amazing. Later that year, at age 37, 
she switched gears and founded Kiosk Forum of Man Incorporated, which was her and Kenneth's scheme to capitalize off the upcoming 1976 bicentennial by printing giant posters of American flags marking the 200th birthday of the U.S. Okay. The idea was that if they got enough press and attention, they could convince the government to put one of these fancy posters in every classroom in America. (laughs) Okay. So they did the math. The dumbest scheme. Sorry, go on. No, listen to how great this scheme is. (laughs) They figured there's like 250,000 classrooms in the United States. Uh And these uh, posters are, did you pull her up? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she's. Very Elizabeth Taylor, yeah, White Diamonds era. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so they figure two hundred fifty classroom, two hundred fifty thousand classrooms in the U.S. Uh-huh. times ten dollars a pop for their oh yeah. their posters is like a windfall, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, but what about printing costs and shipping costs and <laughs> Liz? You are overthinking this. Okay, go on. <laughs> so in 1973, using a forged memo on White House stationery, wow. Sante and Ken. <laughs> Get a meeting with Pat Nixon. <gasps> what? <laughs> at the White House. Wow. Mrs. Nixon realizes after, as she's meeting them that they are full of shit <laughs> and is like tries to avoid a photo op with them okay. by like like shushing the uh-huh. White House photographer out of the room. Uh-huh. But Sante comes prepared with her own camera <laughs> and snaps a photo that later appears in the Bicentennial Times, the official newspa- newsletter for the big year. She even somehow manages to get her son, Kent, a spot at the Rose Bowl to lead the fans in the Pledge of Allegiance. Gosh. <laughs> And in 1974, Sante and Ken push their luck and gain attention when they party uninvited in Washington, D.C., slipping past security at the Blair House reception for Gerald Ford, where they (laughs) attempt to garner his support of their con. Wow. They then hail a cab and proceed to crash parties at the West German Embassy, the Belgian (laughs) Embassy, and finally a sit-down dinner at the Smithsonian's Renwick Gallery. (laughs) What? This This is like... Like you think about like computer hackers who like are so smart and but, like why don't you just use your powers for good like <laughs> oh, no. do a legitimate business yeah right? yeah. <laughs> yeah so eventually they're forced to admit defeat when newspaper society editors run stories exposing their exploits the night before and the Washington Post investigates and find that the letter they used to meet Mrs. Nixon is a fake. So they're like, okay, uh, yeah, just forget about the posters. Oh, wow. Okay. That's over. And uh, and her her business folds. (laughs) Each time Sante was arrested, Kenneth bailed her out. They developed a codependency that allowed him to excuse her crimes in order to keep her close. Kenneth is often drunk and Sante Sante capitalizes on this to manipulate and control him. Hmm. Sante begins to become concerned that Kenneth isn't going to marry her as he enjoyed the perpetual bachelor life and had made it really clear from the start that he intended to leave his massive fortune to his grown children from his previous marriage. Right. <laughs> so once again, Sante has a plan. In 1975, she checks into the hotel for quote unquote minor surgery and gives birth to her second son. <sighs> who she named Kenneth Kimes Jr., nicknamed Kenny. So remember her firstborn son is named Kent. Mm -hmm. She has another kid named Kenny. Wow. Poor Kent. Once Kenny's born, Sante's relationship with her firstborn becomes more and more estranged. Mm -hmm. 
he is arrested for stealing surfboards and Sante condemns him not for his crime, but for the fact that he got caught. Right. How many times has she been caught and arrested? Yeah. Mm-hmm. At one point, uh, she leaves Kent with Kenneth's nephew for what was supposed to be a couple days, but doesn't return to get him for a month. Oh, wow. <laughs> the Kimes family moves to Honolulu in 1975 and Kent repeatedly runs away to be with his father, Ed, who eventually gains full custody of him. So Kent is just like, fuck this. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Best call of this entire story. Yeah. <laughs> in 1978, Sante burns down their Honolulu house to collect the insurance money and they move to Las Vegas for a fresh start. During this time, Sante began traveling to Mexico. Okay, this is like, it's fun to laugh at a lot of this, but Mm. now we're going to start like... It's going to get heavy. Yeah. Okay. So during this time they're in Las Vegas, Sante begins traveling to Mexico and hiring homeless women off the street as maids and nannies, promising them a better life and hefty pay. However, once she gets them back in the U.S., she keeps them locked up in her home, often emotionally and or physically abusing them. Oh, my gosh. This uh, you can read about how really honest to God, terrible and tragic this is. It's yeah, it's a lot. It's really horrible. Uh, Her son, Kent, reports her to the police for kidnapping and slavery, but nothing ever comes of it right Uh then. So in 1980, Sante is arrested for stealing a mink coat in Washington, D.C. after taking it from the back of a chair in broad daylight and then slipping her own coat over the top of it. She basically like told her husband, hey, just like make a distraction Uh and then I'm just going to grab this coat and put it on underneath mine. (laughs) But a witness watched her do the whole thing Uh (laughs) and reported it to the hotel staff who called the police. Uh I think it's hilarious. I read where like the lady who saw her mm-hmm. <laughs> told them she's like, it was this woman who looked like a fat Liz Taylor. Oh, <laughs> it's terrible. But like, hey, if you make yourself into like looking like a celebrity, mm-hmm. you yeah. can't just go do crime oh, in the right? middle of the broad daylight. Right. Like someone's going to be like, I just watched Elizabeth Taylor steal a coat. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe someone was like, it's Elizabeth Taylor. She can wear as many mink coats layered on top of herself <laughs> as she wants. So when they went to the suite where Sante, Kenneth, and Kenny were staying, they found several other mink coats as well, all with the labels and other identifying marks cut out with a razor blade. <laughs> there was also a man's top coat that had been reported stolen. Sante was charged with the theft of the one coat, and Ken is charged with the theft of the men's coat. They pay a $4,000 bond and leave town. For the next five years, Sante avoids her trial for the mink coat by having letters from overseas doctors sent in just before the trial dates excusing her. (laughs) The owner of the men's top coat dies before Ken's trial and the charges are dropped. Sante was finally given a court date in 1985, but she skips town during deliberations and isn't present when the jury convicts her. So her lawyer has her conviction overturned by producing a phony letter saying she had been hit by a car crossing the street outside of the trial and had flown home immediately for treatment and that it's it's illegal to convict someone while they're absent. Oh, what? So he's like, yeah, she just bailed in the middle of her trial. But then you guys convicted her when she was gone and that's illegal. So she gets off. Oh, that's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So while Sante is in Washington for the coat trial, some of the women she has locked up in the house in Las Vegas <gasps> escape and go to the, thor- the authorities 
even though they're at risk for deportation because she brought them over yeah, illegally. Yeah, they're like, get me the hell out of here. Exactly. I don't oh care gosh. if I have to leave America. Exactly. Holy crap. Right? They're like, I'll take what I was, you know, <laughs> maybe life, life wasn't great before, but at least it wasn't <laughs> this. Yeah. Wow. So police catch up with Ken and Sante in one of their homes in La Jolla, California, and arrest them both, charging them with conspiracy to violate slavery laws. Holy crap. They're both extradi- extradited back to Las Vegas, where Sante's held without bail, as she's now considered a flight risk after her <laughs> mink coat trial. Gosh. But she ends up convincing them she has medical issues and should be moved to a hospital, where she proceeds to escape out a bathroom window. Oh my gosh. She's caught three <laughs> days later at a bar, where the bartender, who she thought was a good friend, turns her in. <laughs> wow. So Ken strikes a deal before going to trial and only gets three years suspended sentence, pays a $70,000 fine and has to go to rehab for alcohol yeah. for slavery. <laughs> Sante sued and found guilty in a civil court in Honolulu because it turns out she has some of the women over there oh my gosh, and geez. is sentenced by the U.S. District Court to five years in federal prison for violating anti-slavery laws, though she ends up only serving three of those five years. <laughs> These both seem like tiny slaps on the wrist for the terrible, awful things they did to these women. Yeah. yeah. Just feel like that has to be there said. There is so much, like, how many homes and the jet setting and mm-hmm. their... Yeah, right? And, like, you have money to pay a $70,000 fine. Like, this they, is wild. It, yeah. <laughs> While Sante was in prison, the Kens live happily and uneventfully. Ken Sr. gets sober and Kenny enjoys life without his mother's constant attention and expectations. Mm-hmm. But when she gets out, Sante is resigned that she would never see the inside of a prison cell again. Not, of course, by avoiding crime, but by making sure she never leaves any evidence or witnesses. Oh, boy. Oh, no. In 1990, Sante discovers there's a lien on one of their houses in Honolulu, not Mm. the one she burned down, Mm -hmm. uh, meaning that in order to sell it, they would have to pay $900,000 first. So instead, she hires a lawyer named Elmer Holmgren to burn it down so they can collect the insurance money. (laughs) Elmer makes the mistake of having one too many drinks at a local bar and brags about the plan, leading to an investigation where he admits his involvement and agrees to become an informant. Soon, his office, containing numerous legal documents tying him to the Kimeses, mysteriously burns down as well. (laughs) (laughs) This is like Firestarter. (laughs) Yeah. In August, before the case can go to trial, Mr. Holmgren takes a trip to Costa Rica with Sante and Kenneth. Uh-oh. He's never seen again. <gasps> oh, my gosh. So while his mom is in prison, Kenny attends school outside of the house for the first time and makes friends that weren't, in fact, hired by his mom to spend time with him, like all his previous friends. What? Gosh. Prior to that, he'd spent his childhood on the beaches of the Bahamas, Cancun, and Guadalajara, where his family owns other houses, and had been homeschooled and taught by private tutors. Asante didn't want Kenny mixing with anyone she deemed beneath them. <laughs> Eventually, he moves to California in 1993 to attend UCSB Whoa. in Santa Barbara. Hmm. While he's here, he studies communication. And his classmates describe him as always dressing in fancy designer clothes and being opinionated, angry, and even violent. Hmm. So he's basically Yikes. like brought up with silver spoon in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Lots of trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could have a field day diagnosing yeah. this. Yeah. So while he goes to school at UCSB, uh, his parents have a nearby multimillion dollar home that <laughs> they would stay in. And Sante's relationship with her husband becomes more and more contentious 
while her and Kenny slip into one that gets more and more inappropriate. Oh, no. It's said that Sante often co-hosted keg parties with her son, and they would sleep in the same room together, often sharing the same bed. I'm a fun mom. Yeah. Oh, gross. On March 28th, 1994, Sante Kimes goes to the bank in Santa Barbara, and while she goes inside, Ken Sr. stays in the car. When she comes back out, he's died of a heart attack. (gasps) Or perhaps an aneurysm. I read it both ways. Not Mm -hmm. sure exactly. Sante decides not to tell her son for three months so it won't distract him from his schooling. (laughs) She wants him to go ahead and just finish out his college year Uh uh, without the devastating news of his father's death. (sighs) Instead, at the end of the school year, she tells him they're going on a family trip and then greets him at the airport with not his dad, but an urn full of his ashes. Oh, no. She then says, she then hands him the plane tickets and says, we're going to Hawaii to scatter your dad's ashes. Not not the best way to tell your kid their dad died. Not exactly world's best mom. Wow. So for years, Sante lies to people about her husband's death, claiming he wasn't in fact dead. He was just gone off to Japan to build a hotel whenever any of his family or friends will call. She fakes his life so that his family can't claim the inheritance before she can figure out a way to spend it or embezzle it into her own accounts. She even tries to file a death certificate with another Kenneth Kimes social security number when they finally like, like, they're like, no, he's dead. You have to file Uh this so that we can make our claim. Mm -hmm. So she finds another Kenneth Kimes and uses that social security number so that then they can't like none of their paperwork will go through yeah so in 1996 uh kenny tell or sante tells kenny that he needs to leave college and so he does and the two set off on a string of cross-country crimes from more shopping in florida to murder in los angeles wow so back in the early 70s sante had convinced a man named david kasdan who was a friend of theirs to put his name on the deed of one of their houses in order to avoid a lawsuit he was assured his name would later be removed, but now in 1998, he receives a notice that a second mortgage has been <laughs> taken out on quote unquote his home, and he's now required to start making monthly payments. Kasdan's pissed, but before he can deal with the problem, the house mysteriously burns down. <laughs> and it turns out the deed to that house had been recently somehow transferred days earlier to a homeless man Sante had befriended from a shelter. A fire insurance policy had also been recently set up in the name of this man with the claim payout going to one of the Kimes' accounts. (laughs) David Kasdan reaches out to Sante and threatens to go to police about the forged mortgage Uh and tell them that she was also responsible for the fire and has a history of arson and insurance fraud. Did they invite him to Costa Rica? Did they invite him to die? (laughs) Shortly (laughs) after, his body is found in a dumpster near LAX. Wow. Whoa. Another associate of Sante's, Syed Bilal Ahmed, a banker who was in charge of Sante's offshore bank accounts, <laughs> was murdered in Nassau, Bahamas in 1996. Wow. It's believed Kenneth and his mother drugged Ahmed, drowned him in a bathtub, oh. and dumped his body offshore, but no charges were ever filed in that case. Wow. May I just say, um, okay, that this first is of all, exhausting? <laughs> yes. Like the. The amount of anxiety that I would have right? about doing one of these things, yes. not even one of the murders, like, the- like just the constant 
anxiety. And so I kind of wonder if like maybe people who can do this just don't have yeah. their bodies are different or their bra- brains they are different. No like, well, and they just don't have that anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. For you sure. know, because even if you didn't have a conscience, you might be afraid that you were going to get caught or something. Oh, yeah. And like, I just could never. Yeah. I, I like this is all horrible, but I'm just like, well, this is she was very productive. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like compulsive. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. what. I, yeah. I think I think that's the nail on the head. OK. That, like, she literally can't stop herself. Yeah. yeah from oh, doing crime amazing i mean in a bad way yeah. yeah so on june 14th 1998 kenny shows up at the home of irene silverman on east 65th street in new york he and sante had found out about irene she's wealthy she comes mm-hmm. from money um she's well loved she owns this big uh i think she owned like they refer to it as a mansion but then there's also like an apartment okay and so it's I think it's one of those things where like people just own a portion of a building mm-hmm. in New York. Okay. Um, so Kenny and Sante have a plan to con her out of her building, basically. <laughs> um, so she has she's trying to rent an apartment. So Kenny claims to be a hotshot web designer named Manny Guerin from Palm Beach, Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, so her Irene's place is famous for hosting all sorts of people like artists writers rich society folks and even celebs like daniel day lewis and shaka khan hang out there with irene uh although irene rents the apartment to kenny right from the start he wasn't exactly well-mannered he wouldn't let anyone in the apartment once he moved in and Mm -hmm. he sneaked around to avoid the security cameras in the building entrance he spends hours spying on the staff through his peephole uh and one day out of the blue he shows up with an older woman and they move in together in their one bedroom apartment claiming she's his assistant it's obviously sante oh okay yeah (laughs) uh silverman the owner complained to her friends about her weird new tenant saying that he quote-unquote smelled like jail it wasn't long before <laughs> she tells like? I, don't, I have no idea i've never okay. been i mean i don't know i don't know whether she meant like like he seems like he seems shady yeah. or oh whether like he literally smells, smells I see. off I see. <laughs> uh so it's not long before she tells her business manager like get this guy out okay before that can happen, after a party she holds every year on the 4th of July, Silverman disappears. <gasps> Her worried friends call the police uh, who check it out but find no signs of a struggle, no blood in the house, uh, and her new house guest is now vanished as well. Gosh. Two days later, after a warrant is issued in another state for Kenny and Sante for previous crimes, I believe it was uh, like a news a news station airs a story about um, Kasdan's body being found mm. and that they, they've like tied that to Sante and Kenny. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a picture of them okay. on this news story. So the NYPD officers realize that Manny Guerin that they're looking for oh, is right. actually Kenny Kimes, a con artist on the run. Jeez. So Kenny and his mom, Sante, are arrested on the same day, just a few blocks away in the middle of a bustling street fair in New York. The FBI is the one who actually arrests them because they had been tracking them for months because they had used a fake check to steal a fancy Lincoln Town car from an auto dealer in Utah. Oh, my gosh. They are just bad at crime also. But so productive. Yeah. So at the arrest, Kenny, who admits to wetting his black jeans as he was taken down, 
I don't know why that was that was part of a story that I read. <laughs> so I felt the need to put it in. <laughs> They're arrested and Kenny has Irene Silverman's social security card, <gasps> tax forms, and an, her American Express card on him. Plus a knife and a pair of brass knuckles. The cops also find a forged power of attorney form with Silverman's signature, masks from the movie Scream, a nine millimeter Glock handgun, plastic handcuffs, an empty box for a stun gun, syringes, and a oh. bottle of some date rape drug called oh. flunitrazepam in the trunk of the Lincoln. They huh. even discover a black bag that Sante had checked at the Plaza Hotel that day. Inside was a fake deed with Silverman's signature transferring her mansion to a shell company controlled by Sante. Dang. Gosh. Yeah. Productive. So they really went all in on that Productive. one. Yeah. What was the scream mask for? <laughs> so um, they like they put together that basically they put the masks on. Oh, to th- go into the apartment. To go in. Okay. It sounds like they used the stun gun on her. Oh. And then... Uh, and then administered the drug. And the, yeah. Gosh. It was a lot. Yeah. Sante and Kenny went to trial first for the murder of Irene Silverman, uh, even though they had originally been arrested for other things. Uh-huh. Um, but they hadn't found a body. Even though Irene's body was okay. never found. Wow. Oh, my oh. gosh. Nor a crime scene. Productive. Yeah. The jury felt that the evidence that they found in the Lincoln was enough to convict them unanimously for not just murder, but 117 other charges, including robbery, burglary, conspiracy, grand larceny, illegal weapons possession, forgery, and eavesdropping. During the trial, the mother and son's antics caused the judge to order Sante not to talk to the media after she was caught slipping notes to reporters. Wow. Kenny repeatedly complimented his mother's appearance during the trial. Icky. And during their sentencing, Sante went on a tirade accusing everyone, including their own lawyers, of conspiring against them, comparing their situation to the Salem witch trials and <laughs> accusing them of, quote unquote, murdering the Constitution. Wow. Which once again proves that most people just fundamentally do not understand what happened during the witch trials in Salem. <laughs> do you want to talk about that? <laughs> I could go on. I could be I could be interested in, that, in that, those facts. Can we I do don't it? have all the facts, but just like I feel like people are constantly like, "This is like a like it's, the same yeah, yeah. witch trials." It's, child. Child. it's, it's yeah. like, no, you're a man who's being held responsible for your actions. <laughs> you're not a person who was like a woman who was trying to exist in right. society and then was like accused of being something and then burned. I would like you to do the witch trials as like an away game or an and another thing in the future. Please. Yeah, I, would 100% I want do. your and take on them. The book club, this book I'm reading right now. Yeah. About the witch hunts which, and why women are still on trial. So they were each given the maximum allowable sentence in the trial. 120 years for Sante and 124 years for Kenny, effectively sending them to life in prison. Jeez. Later, they were both extradited to Los Angeles and stood trial for the murder of David Kasdan. <laughs> Kenny pled guilty in exchange for a plea deal that his mother would not receive the death penalty and then went on to testify against her, detailing her entire life of crime and explaining how she had manipulated him into doing her bidding. Sante once again performed a sociopathic monologue, denying everything and accusing police and prosecutors of misconduct until the judge basically ordered her to shut the f*** up. (laughs) 
the judge eventually called her, quote unquote, one of the most evil individuals she had ever encountered. On May 19th, 2014, Sante died while serving a life sentence plus 125 years at the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for Women in New York. Wow. Kenneth Jr. currently remains incarcerated at Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility in California. Gosh. What a wild ride yes. that was. That was crazy. I was not adequately strapped in. No. I mean, <laughs> so a couple other things. Uh, the National Crime Information Center lists 28 different aliases for Sante Kine. Wow. Um, there was also like Sante and Kenny are suspects in the 1995 abduction of 62-year-old Mary Jacqueline Levitz, heiress to the Levitz furniture fortune. Oh, um, you'll I guess, love it at Levitz. <laughs> you'll love it at Levitz. I guess she was last seen on like on November 18th, 1985 by a store clerk at a business where she bought wallpaper, but then she was never heard again. Um, and then a relative later discovered that her front door had been left open. Her bedroom carpet and mattress were soaked in blood. Signs oh, of a violent no. struggle, including torn off fingernails <gasps> were scattered on the floor. No. Um, and they say that they police believe that uh, it was a botched kidnapping and that her body may have been dumped in the Mississippi River, which ran near the home. And after the disappearance of Irene Silverman, there were similarities that were noted between her case and Levitt's. Um, however, neither Sante nor Kevin were ever charged in relation to that case. I couldn't really see like it didn't. I don't know. Maybe I didn't read enough about the Silverman case, but it didn't really seem very similar to me because they said that they didn't find any scenes of a struggle or blood or anything okay. in huh. Irene's place. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why they tied that to her. So that's why I didn't include it. Um, also, fun tidbit. In 2001, um, there was a, a movie made about Sante and Kenny uh-huh. called Like Mother, Like Son, The Strange Story of Sante and Kenny Kimes. And it stars Mary Tyler Moore <gasps> as Sante. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> And uh, and Gene Stapleton as Irene Silverman. <gasps> and apparently it's great. I was going to try and watch it, but I didn't. Maybe we should watch it together. <laughs> yeah. But apparently she plays her as like, and it's funny because we were kind of talking about this before, um, that like there's a uh, episode of My Favorite Murder where they talk about Sante uh-huh. and Karen describes her as like constantly, like everything is flirtation. Oh, yeah. So like that she uses that like as her manipulation yeah. is like she's constantly just like and it works. It did. Clearly it works yeah. for her. Yeah. <laughs> so that was just uh interesting. There's so much about this case, um, because yeah, it kind of takes place literally everywhere. Yeah, it does. It doesn't seems it? like she just They got around. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Every so. every time you were like, and then and one of <laughs> Kenny was in here. New York, and then <laughs> yeah. the Bahamas, and I was like, that just the travel time alone. Yeah, I hope they had frequent flyer miles. Yeah, I was gonna start with the this story has everything, and I feel like, like I said in the beginning, like I feel like this is just the thing that I keep finding these wild yeah. rides. So wow. I'm gonna start every episode with that. But oh MTV's gosh. Dan Cortez <laughs> was not involved in this, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. Wow. Gosh, eight ball. Are we, are you done? Jen? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry. That's I all I've got. Yeah. I that mean, was oh, awesome. It was a lot. Crazy. So. Yeah. I just like, is it going to keep going? <laughs> no. Um, I mean, there, there's actually like, they did, they did like a 60 minutes interview. Uh, Kenny got a little wild, like between the two trials and like, uh, 
at one point he I shouldn't laugh because it's not great but like uh he grabbed like a pen uh-huh. like a ballpoint pen and like grabbed a reporter and like Ooh. was like held the pen up to her like terminator like, 2 neck and, <laughs> and threatened her like wow. because he didn't want like but it was weird because they have such a weird relationship that like so he literally like held this lady because he was like trying to get a better deal for his mom That's or right. something. And it seems like like I read a lot of things that talked about their relationship and like when he was at UCSB that mm-hmm. like um his roommate said that anytime they were together they were just like constantly in screaming arguments oh, and then like yeah. immediately he would be like no it's it's fine everything's fine I just it, my I just need to remember that my mom's always right. And like <laughs> so it sounds like their relationship was just like super messed up what a hot take on that because his mom was like not ever right like right like it seems like terrible um there's so much hinting around them like potentially having an incestuous relationship but yeah you know that's i didn't really want to yeah thanks it's not it's not not, like proven none of that neither of them really admitted to it but he was just always kind of weird like Mm -hmm. uh when people would criticize his mom he would be like well she's just so amazing and gorgeous that everybody's just jealous of what we have it just sounds like even if there wasn't a um an incest like there's just a they were very intertwined it sounds like in a way that's inappropriate there's a lot of codependency yeah and like i said before i don't it's hard to know like her history is really, you know, if she, if those accounts were based on what she said, I don't put a whole lot of stock into right. it. But I mean, we'd like to think that her like her background, you know, if she suffered, if she mm-hmm. did suffer all this trauma, mm-hmm. you can it kind of helps you like reconcile. Right. Like it doesn't excuse it, it but do- it explains exactly. it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. It it yeah. you know, it's easier to see it as a response to previous trauma not like you said not excusing it but Mm -hmm. rather than her just like enjoying it yeah which it sounds like she kind of did too so maybe she was a sociopath (laughs) or so, so do we have a question for the magic eight ball i think i have one uh go for it okay so are there unsolved crimes in santa barbara county that sante and kenny or just sante committed Oh. Good one. There we go. Shaky, shaky. <laughs> Concentrate and ask again. Okay. Nah. <laughs> that's the first time we've gotten I know. that one. I was going to say that's new. Uh, come on. Come on. Come on. Very doubtful. Oh. So our, our various law enforcement. <laughs> Any unsolved cases? Don't. Don't, don't, don't worry don't. about it. No, good job. Good job. This might, be, this might be the first time that I... Uh, I'm You're not. not on board with. <laughs> I know. Right? I don't agree with the magic eight ball that it's very doubtful. <laughs> yeah. I think it's highly likely based yeah, right? on everything we've learned today. I mean, at the very least, some financial crimes, right? Sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Even if not murders. Wow. So, don't be like Sante. No. Because her life sounds super stressful. Yeah, but not for her. I guess no, for everybody I don't else. Know. I guess. It's so interesting. She had houses. She had money. They traveled a lot. Yeah. <laughs> She's scheming. Oh my I really. God. Uh, I I should subscribe to Millionaire Magazine. <laughs> so I'm not in search of an upgrade. Uh, I'm super happy with my current husband. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. This has been the Ghoul's Guide to Santa Barbara. Yeah. We've been Summers and Liz and Jen. Still are. <laughs> yep. Uh, so be sure to join us for our next episode about the ghost town of Betteravia. Yeah. 
And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Hi, Mom. Thanks for listening to The Ghoul's Guide to Santa Barbara. Like and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ghoul's Guide to SB. Our website is ghoulsguidetosb.com. Got a spooky story or know of a haunted or paranormal location in Santa Barbara? Send it to us at ghoulsguidetosb at gmail.com. <laughs>